You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. What's going on, sweet people? Personas dulces. <laughs> Forging Fury. Forging Fury. Forging Fury podcast. I'm so excited. We've got faces only our mother could love. Can't believe you just said that. Love you, mean it. What's going on, sweet people? This is Coach Riley, and on today's episode of the Forging Fury podcast, alongside my best friend, Michael Gray, we have our dear friend, Matt Lazat in the house. So uh, before Matt starts, he, it, we've got a very humble humble guy in the house. So me, this dude is rad. Like, this is how I would describe Matt. He's a rad dude, but right. what's up, Matt? How's it going, guys? Yeah, Appreciate we're, you having We're going to have on. to pick at him a little bit, but he's doing some really gnarly things, and he he's just he's just a cool dude. Yeah, he takes his fitness to all areas of life, for yeah, sure. He's done some pretty amazing things. So, Matt, it. give us like a brief history, like where you grew up, like how you grew up, and, and things of that accord. You bet. You bet. As a lot of you guys know, I'm from the Boston area. Go uh, Sox. Born and raised. Go Sox. Go Patriots. Um, a lot Bull. of people won't like that comment. <laughs> I don't mind the Sox. I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm born in a small town in central Massachusetts called Oxford, uh, Mass., which is about 45 minutes west of Boston, close to the Worcester area. Worcester. Yep. Can you turn on and, and off uh, your Boston accent? Because I, I don't hear it. When I'm with my buddies, I definitely crank it up a little bit. I can hear it a little, a little bit. bit. I can hear it. I'll have to listen for There'll it. There'll be some key words in this, uh, <laughs> this interview where it'll pop out, I'm sure. <laughs> like the Kennedys, right? Yeah. I did what I had to do. Yeah. There's, I, I mean, there's a lot of history in Boston. We can... Like, how was growing up in that area, like Boston, like being a suburb of Boston? Like, I, I think you take it for granted. Mm. You know, you don't realize how old things are there, you know, and uh, you come here and everything's uh, relatively new because it's built in the last 50 years. And Yeah, 48th state yeah. is Arizona. We just were talking about that a second ago. State 48. Things yeah. are hundreds of years old back there. So yeah. it's, uh, And I grew up different. in the West, so I was born in New Mexico, lived in Utah, and now I live here in Arizona. And it was probably 20 years ago when I first visited DC for the first time. And I was just, I loved the history and the, just how, how much of what I learned about America was, was there. It was, it was great. I never did get to visit Boston. So no. growing up in that area, what kind of sports did you play as a kid? So honestly, I didn't play a lot of organized sports as a kid, but every day we balled in the yard. We played the pond be- hockey. The best. Yep. Disorganized um, sports. Yeah, right. yeah. We'd start uh, passing notes in, in class about who's going to be on whose team for ice hockey and things nice. like that. And, and that's uh, like natural frozen over lakes. And oh yeah. Like, yep. Oh dude. Ponds I, and stuff like that. My brain can't fathom that. Never seen anything like that in my life. Yeah. Um, so yeah. playing hockey as a kid, like what, what kind of, um, what kind of things did that kind of instill in you as a, as an adult now, like playing sports and kind of like, we were just talking to our buddy Brent about how kind of sports play a role in our development as, as, as humans. What kind of things did you learn early playing sports that kind of made you who you are? Yeah, I think, um, you know, playing backyard sports is obviously different than, than playing, um, more organized sports, which I, I did later in, in high school when I joined uh, the rowing team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, just com- competitiveness and just camaraderie and things like that. I still play hockey today in a men's league and, uh, it, it feels very similar to a bunch of kids playing on the pond. So <laughs> big kids now. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about rowing and how you got into that and how you even did that on a high level. Yeah. So what's funny about that is my sister is uh, my older sister. She rode in college. And we grew up on a lake, so um, grew up around water swimming and things like that. I was like, oh, rowing, that sounds cool. I thought it was like this fun, you know, easy thing to do. I didn't even view it as athletic for some reason. I have no idea why. It's like going, to, <laughs> and, going to the other side of the lake to do fishing, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm like, oh, it's, you know, paddling around and Something stuff like that. Something you have to do. And uh, freshman year in high school, my mom drops me off at Regatta Point in uh, Worcester, Mass. And there were no boats to be seen, and they just told us to start running laps. 
and I had, you know, hadn't really run much or anything like that. I'm like, why are, why are we running laps? This isn't fun. Where are the boats? And we didn't see a boat, you know, for uh, about the first month. It was all just <laughs> physical conditioning. And a fun, funny story, actually, about uh, my first rowing experience was was the rower, which we call ergs, ergometers mm. in the rowing world. And uh, it was a, we had Model Bs at the time. They were literally like a bicycle wheel. So look at the rowers we have today and, yeah. and just picture an old school bicycle wheel aging myself a little bit here. But um, the coach is like, all right, get on this. We're going to row, you know, 2000 meters. And I row the first hundred meters and then I stop and he gets in my face and why are you stopping? I'm like, it hurts. Like, it's tiring, you know? So I guess the point of me telling you this, is I had no, you know, athletic drive mm. when I started it. And then obviously that changed over time and, yeah. and, um, you know, became super competitive in rowing. What's the, what's the training look like? And like, when I think rowing, I think of like crew, like, was it yeah. like how many kids, how many people were in a boat? Like people that don't know rowing at all, kind of give them the lay of yeah, the land sure. and how that works. Yeah, so there's there's two types of rowing, and most of the rowing that that you'll see will be sweep rowing, which is um, when you have one oar. So there's mm-hmm. a, you know four starboard rowers, four port rowers, and you have one oar, uh, eight man shells, four man shells, the most common. And then there's there's skulls, which you have two oars. So this is all like yeah, flying over my head. I have no idea. See, I know yeah. this because okay. I, I've got a client of mine whose son goes to a private school out there and uh-huh. we're always doing like his videos for his son is part of the crew. So I've, yeah. I've gotten to see some of that. It's, okay. it's pretty yeah. amazing how they glide across the water and it's, it's really hard. Um, I, I think that the misconception is that those boats are, are, you know, stable. They're extremely unstable and depending on how you pull, you know, the, the boat gets offset extremely easily. So oars are banging off the water if it's not stable, which mm. costs you time when you're in a race and your oars are smashing off the water. Uh, you're losing time when you're in perfect sync and you're at the catch, you drive, all the oars come out together and stay off the water. The boat goes faster. So, um, you know, the, the thing that's difficult or challenging about rowing is you guys all know what it feels like to be in the middle of a 2k on the mm. rower, you, you feel the same, if not worse on the water, but you also have a technical component with your oar mm. that's involved too, where you, you can't let your teammates down and you have to have perfect form. It's almost like a golf swing. You What's, perfect it over time. And that you said there's eight people on one boat. Correct. So like, that's a lot of people being yeah. on the same page at the same time. Like what kind of things did you guys do to kind of make, you have to be synchronized. Like yep. what, what, what kind of fueled that training or like fueled that camaraderie that you guys needed to be all on the same accord. Yeah. So a a difference in rowing practice versus, you know, a typical CrossFit wad is when you row, a lot of times you, you do a lot of stroke rate work where you keep everybody in the room at the same exact stroke rate. So you either line up the rowers, um, you know, vertically or horizontally next to each other. And everyone's at the same exact stroke rate. Yeah. And, and the coach will say, all right, bring it up two and two. And the next two strokes, you take it from an 18 to a 20 or 20, 22. Oh, wow. And everyone stays together. That sounds like a fun crossover so, workout. Yeah. If it, you would, could it, get it, people it, to hold. It, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have to have uh, crew members that are your same height in general? Is that a, a good thing? Or are, are, it, are it tall would. people and short people... It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, typically, you, you'd want all tall people, but you know you don't always have that. <laughs> well, uh, that's not that, that capability. <laughs> so in college, right? So fast forward from high school to college, um, there's lightweight rowing and heavyweight rowing. Oh well, um, so didn't know that. light light lightweight rowing in college, I believe, is in the spring anyway. You've got to have a boat average of 155, and each individual rower can be up to 160 pounds. So I used to. Uh, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I used to. Uh, I'd have, have to, to cut, cut a little weight. bit of weight. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I was about 175 naturally. So mm-hmm. to get under that 160. You had to cut a little bit. I had to cut a lot. Yeah. Oh, trash God. bag runs. <laughs> that was know, a thing, huh? Eating one can of tuna per day. Oh, heavens. White all. bread, nice water. Yeah. yeah. I, so it, this sounds like very bad to say, and people are going to throw things at me for saying this, but I've never been in a situation where I've had to cut weight. Like I've never had to lose weight at a, like for a competition or like just in my life journey yet. So like, I can't understand that, but I think I know that it's so hard. Like it requires discipline, like especially cutting for like a sports event. Like you got to be dialed in pretty hard. Like I think the technology has kind of gotten a little bit better. Like maybe not everyone's doing trash bag runs and like eating one thing of tuna, but like that's hard. Like knowing that you have to cut a X amount of weight before time. Like, and that's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of information out there that says that's really bad for you. I'm, I'm sure it is. Yeah. It's like, mostly the, the the previous couple of days to the weigh-in is mostly you're just trying to lose water weight. Yeah. So, and know. then trying to hop in the boat and perform at the highest level that you have well, after you've lost so much weight. Like Yeah, the weigh-in is the night before the race usually. So it's all about making that weigh-in. And then the second that's done, you go, you know, for, you know, eat yeah. some calories and get ready for the next morning. So how does, okay, explain a boat race, like a, a rowing competition. Is there multiple boats, four or five boats? Yep. So... Uh, there's two seasons of rowing. The fall is actually, they call it head racing, which is what the head of the Charles is, um, which is the most famous rowing, okay. you know, competition in the of world. Course. I think they get 400,000 spectators come watch it. Oh, wow. so, uh, it's actually, um, it's, it's a, it should be a bucket list for some people yeah. to go, to go check out. It's amazing spectacle. Um, all the top colleges in boats from all over the world come, uh, to, to race in the head of the Charles. But the way a head race works is it's all against the clock. So three, two, one, go, the boat goes, the clock starts, and then they, you know, wait 10 to 15 seconds, and then the next boat goes, and hmm. so on. So it's like a so time trial. It's like a time trial. Okay. It's a head race. And those races are about, you know, anywhere from three to four, four and a half miles long, typically. Um, so it's a it's a slower stroke rate. It's um, the opposite of the spring, which is where the 2K comes in. So the, the spring races are all head-to-head. You'll have six or seven lanes all at a um, at a starting dock, and then on three, two, one, go. You know the hammer drops, and all the boats take off. That's awesome. At one time, and those, those finish, races are two thousand meters. How do you finish? Is it the first end of the boat that crosses, or the back end of the boat that crosses? It's the first uh, first bow ball. There's okay. a there's a ball on the bow with it with, oh, your, okay. with, your, with your number. I was like, what's one of those? Yep, <laughs> and it it can be close. Like, a lot of photo finish. And when I hear events. Matt speak about rowing, like I'm interested. I'm like, well, how does this work? And like, how like I want to try it. Like I I see it as a challenge. I'm like, man, well, rowing is the only thing I can do in the gym well. Yeah. So I I may want to try that I, too. He I, says like longer guys. I mean, I mean, I think I'm pretty long. I'm in the heavy heavy like, heavyweight I, class. I would though. understand that rowing on a erg at the gym is not the same. Like, and I what I want to dive into a little bit is like. Like what, ha- I mean, the team of eight is, is a lot of guys be on the same page. Like what did that teach you about being on a team? Like the, the things you took away from rowing of like dealing with people and managing people, that kind of, let's talk about that a little bit more because you, it's hard to please seven people. Yeah. It's hard absolutely. to be on the same page as seven people at the same time. So maybe let's speak on that of like what things you took away from rowing to help you manage people or form relationships with folks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, within a boat, not to get too much into the details, but the, every every seat has kind of a different role in the boat too. Like nice. the, the eight seat is the stroke seat, so they're setting the pace. <laughs> the seven seat is a pair with the stroke seat, so they're sort of the leaders of the boat. Okay. And then in the in the middle, the six, five, and four seat, that's where you're, you talked before. I probably didn't answer your question either about the size. Your tallest and biggest and strongest guys go in the four, five, and six seat. Those are okay. sort of the engine room, if you will. Yeah. And then the lighter, smaller guys are up in the bow, which, you know, makes sense from a weight standpoint. But What do you call the guy calling the pace? Co- he's a coxswain, he or she. 
Okay. They, t- they typically weigh about a hundred pounds or less. Yeah, yes. dude, guy That's or girl, get her. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> and they and they, you know, they they have a huge role. They're really the the coach, right? Yeah. They're you know setting the cadence and um, telling you where you are against other boats, right? So they they really motivate you because as, you, as you're rowing, you don't necessarily know where you are, where your competition yeah. is. So. Sure. You know, the coxswain will tell you, okay, we're coming up on their five seat. Give me their five seat. Give oh, me their wow. four seat. Give me their four. So you start picking off dude, that's people awesome. in the boats over there. That so. sounds, that's cool. I'm going to get into that, yeah, dude. That sounds so fun. Let's do it. I'll, I'll be on your team. All right. You, you know, I can kind of I need row. a four, five, six guy. So that's yeah, right. it's, it's cool. <laughs> now, are they, are those in the four, four boats and the eight person boats? They're, yep. they're so there's, both. there's typically a coxswain in a, um, in a four and an eight. Okay. Yes. And can they also say, Hey, we're going a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. They can kind of steer you too. like, they actually have rudders. Oh, so they, have, oh uh, they can, they, oh, they can yeah, actually do they, the steering. They steer the boat. Yep. Oh, okay. So you don't have to with the, with so, the oars. Yeah. What I'm getting out of like each part of the boat is like each, each person has a role and knowing the yes. role and how to, how to execute that role the right way, which that's kind of how uh, life works. <laughs> there's that. And I think, I think there's um, like a similarity too with, with, with CrossFit is just that, that suck factor. Mm. Right. You're all going through that together. Oh yeah. And, and I think you, you just, you don't want to let your, your boat mate down. Right. Just, mm. uh, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of similar in CrossFit if you're working out in a group or whatnot, oh, yeah. you're just trying to do the best you can. Right. Right. likes group, group workouts. Oh yeah. I think sweat is a bonding agent. Like as For soon sure. as you get sweaty with like people, dude, now you're best friends. Like it, it eliminates all borders. It's yep. a be- best adhesive bonding unit. Like whatever, whatever sweat does and chemically, like in your brain, like it just, it just does great things. The other thing about rowing too, right. Is it's typically in the morning. Mm. So, you know, um, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old and you have to be at the lake at five o'clock in the morning is, is a, is a discipline. Yeah. Same in college too. When, you know, you it's might cold. be partying and having fun yeah, and doing and, those and, things to get up. In Boston, it's, cold. it's gotta be freezing your ass off at, at the winter time. That time. So, <laughs> so I think there's a major lesson from the sport, just kind of, you know, getting uncomfortable, Right. Mm-hmm. And good things happen when you're uncomfortable and you know, it's not always the most comforting thing to get up at, at four in the morning and, and go to practice and, and yeah. go work out in the freezing cold. But, um, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. Hell yeah. Who did you row for in college? Uh, university of Massachusetts. UMass, UMass. baby. Yep. The Minutemen. Yep. Where I met, yeah. I met my wife. She was, uh, yeah, that's where I'm trying to get at. She was a minute woman. Yes. She was. <laughs> she was, was that even <laughs> whatever the, the, the funny story with that is, uh, she was obviously in the, the school of fine arts. Mm-hmm. She was in there for dance and the, the dance studio was right next to the rowing studio. Mm. So there was a lot of spandex going on because yeah. the rowers wear spandex as well as the dancers. So and that's why you're know, still in we, CrossFit. Cause yeah. you're still spandex, <laughs> still CrossFit. spandex there we, too. We, we met, we met wearing spandex. Nice. You know, I've seen talk in, about a good adhesive in rowing practice these complicated looking contraptions in a room where like the whole contraption is moving for rowing practice. Do you, is that a standard thing? Yeah. So you might be referring to there's there's an apparatus which came about after I stopped rowing, but I think you can connect the concept twos now together. Whoa. Together. Okay. But like yep. the people are moving right or yeah. something. It's well, they, it's the concept two I think goes on like a apparatus. Yeah. And the, the rowers actually. I think you're making that forth. up. No, it's cool. No, it's, it's a cool looking thing. <laughs> so you meet your your wife in college. Like, let's dive into that a little bit For more. Sure. Like, you guys, you, you meet in college, and tell us tell us how that kind of blossomed into something beautiful. Yeah. There's a funny story too about how we met and she might get mad at me for telling you, but I'll tell it anyways. We, we, we worked, we worked in the, uh, the equipment cage at one of the gyms. Um, so like for the, the D one athletes, they had access to, you know, champions t-shirts and shorts and all this kind of stuff and, and jocks. So for a uh, work study, we would, you know, handle passing out all the equipment. Well, when the 
the dirty laundry came back, they would put it on the counter and then you'd have to put it into a, into a bin. She wouldn't touch the dirty jocks. <laughs> so she would call me over and I would, I would have to, uh, oh, just trick in the you know, yeah. throw the dirty jocks in the, in, in the, in the hey, laundry. That, that's honestly, really how we, that's honestly how we met was, wow. was, uh, handling dirty jock straps. Well, nice. Very, that's very romantic. The things you'll do for a woman. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's love yeah. right there, dude. I mean, you must've really been into that. So what, well, hold on. Do you okay. still do laundry at home? Like, are you still <laughs> dealing with that with the kids? Like, yeah. Hey, the underwear is on the floor, man. Yeah, Can exactly. you pick that up? <laughs> Exactly. So what brought you guys out West? I mean, you sound like you love New England and like love that. You kind of have that New Englanders mentality about you, if that means anything, which is a good thing. But uh, what brought you guys out to the desert? Yeah. So um, right after college, so we met senior year, I was doing an internship uh, my junior year with GE um, Capital. Actually, it was GE Aircraft Engines and um, moved out to Cincinnati after college. Um, turned, it turned into, basically the internship turned into a full-time position after college. So I knew I was going out there and she was in the arts obviously and wanted to move to Chicago, um, to be in a dance company. So both were Midwest, you know, mm-hmm. cities. So we, we stayed together through that. And nice. you know, I went to Cincinnati, she went to Chicago and, uh, we took a lot of, uh, she took a lot of, uh, Greyhound buses back and oh, forth the old Greyhound. down I 65 in Indiana. Um, and, uh, we just, you know, made it through that. And eventually I moved up to Chicago 2002 and we were f- in Chicago from 02 to 2006. And then, um, all I was with GE capital at the time and, um, a, a sales territory opened up out in the Southwest region. Probably made sense for me to move to LA at the time, but I asked if we could come to Phoenix cause my parents were here and my sister lives nice. here. So as you well. had some so, ties to the desert. So I had, had a couple ties to Phoenix and that's how we ended up here in 2006 Nice. And that was supposed to, my job was supposed to be for a couple of years and basically it's turned into 13 years. And 13 I've been, years later. You know, with the same company. So, so same company. Nice. Well, that's a long time to work for the same company. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I've always noticed about you following you on Instagram is you're still quite a traveler and you're still, you stay fit while you travel, which I, I have a feeling that if I had to travel as much as you do, I'd have a hard time staying fit. So why don't you talk about how do you stay fit when you travel as much as you do? Yeah. I, th- I would say the, the first answer to that is you have to be intentional about it. So as I think through kind of my week ahead, um, I try to lay out what kind of workouts I'm going to get in. And we talked about this a little bit before. It's, uh, it's not always CrossFit. It, it, it uh, mix of running, mix of um, trail running, road running. I'll, I actually joined a, a yoga studio up there. What? Yeah, oh, trying yeah. new things. I like it, yeah. <laughs> I got to keep that one quiet from Erica too, because she's here with the three kids, and I'm up doing yoga in, uh, in, in, <laughs> what Be- are you doing in, up there? in Bellevue. Yeah, right. She gives me crap about that's but, a rough gig, huh? <laughs> but but I I found yoga to be an amazing yeah. workout. I always uh, never thought it was like as as hard as CrossFit, or you'd get the oh, yeah. same type of workout. And I was is wrong. Is it Bikram? It's, is it hot yoga or is it just normal yoga? They have a hot power fusion Oof. class. Yeah, that's I, yep. dripping sweat. Yeah, yeah. very hard. Yep, absolutely. I so. was in, I did not like a, maybe like an eight week Bikram yoga, like really dived in and it was hard. Like it's hard and it's challenging to hold those poses. And like, you see yourself getting a little bit better. And especially if you challenge yourself and within those poses, like each time you're like, okay, I want to reach a little bit further, or like balance a little bit longer. Yoga is really hard. Yeah, like I'm, I've had major, major like struggles with yoga, but it's a definitely a challenge in itself. Um, but yeah, being intentional about your exercise while you're on the road. Yeah. You just have to be intentional about it and, you know, just kind of do the best you can do. And, and really nutrition is, is a huge, huge factor as well, especially with uh, airports and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that can yes. really, really get you. Sure. And it seems like you're usually outdoors. Like in, anytime I see pictures, like you, 
you're just hiking or running through some of the most beautiful country that America has to offer. So yeah, yep. he actually did a, a really big hike as of late. I think he just hiked Mount Rainier. Is that what you told me? <laughs> yep, climbed Mount Rainier. Well, back well, yeah. in dude, you did it done back How, in June. What's the elevation there? Uh, fourteen thousand four hundred okay. feet. Pretty high. So let's dive into that trip. Like, how'd you get ready for it? Like, mountaineered was the term you just used. Yeah. So mountaineering is a little different than than hiking, just because typically it involves you know glacier travel. Oh, um, wow. You know, Mount Rainier is a is a glacier, so it's obviously you're battling snow and cold and things like that. So it's a whole different things I don't like. Yeah, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. But I, I would say. A couple of years ago, I just started developing this interest in mountaineering. And I had a friend who actually lives up in Seattle and her husband um, are super into mountaineering. They've climbed all kinds of crazy stuff. And I just reached out to them. It was for my 40th birthday. I decided I want to go climb um, a mountain up in up in the Washington area. So we climbed Mount Adams, which is not as as um, as crazy or dangerous as Mount Rainier. Uh, so we took, we took a couple couples up there. My wife did. It, it was awesome. It was nice. an amazing experience. And, uh, from then, from that point, I kind of really developed a, an interest in mountaineering. And, and, uh, this year we, we set our sights a little bigger and, and my friend Katie took us up, uh, Mount Rainier, which was basically like a three day, um, journey. So you, you mean you're carrying a 50 pound pack yeah, climbing that you know, that level of elevation requires certain levels of fitness and you're camping out, yeah. you know, in the snow. So there's a, there's just a massive suck factor <laughs> on the first, in that. on the first camp out. Are you camping out in the snow? Like, is it snow? All, all, yes. Way yep. down low. Okay. So yeah. it's not just when you get to the top of the yeah. mountain. What, what Michael kind of, we were talking about earlier is like Matt has taken this fitness that he's acquired through doing CrossFit, being at CrossFit Fury for the last like five or six, well, longer than year, long time. And he's kind of been able to put it in different like new realms. Like he's taken his fitness and challenged himself to new things like mountaineering. We talked about, well, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into his endeavors a little, le- a little later. I don't want to give it away, but there are many. Yeah. So. <laughs> Let's, yeah, let's dive in with mountaineering. How does that work? Does do you have like your buddy was kind of a guide and like you just kind of were like with them while we did it? Like, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, they're not, um, they're not official guides really, mm-hmm. but they actually, they teach courses on mountaineering. So they're, they're super, um, you know, super knowledgeable mm-hmm. and, and very focused on safety and things like that. You, you, this isn't something you'd want to just go, go do. You yeah. You don't to, just you need to do it and, with people yeah. that, you know, know all the, uh, all the ins and outs of how to be safe while you do it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, they came and just on Mount Adams, they, they took us up and then for Mount Rainier, it was just uh Katie and then a good, good friend of mine, John and, and myself, um, just the three of us. But total mileage. How, how in the three days it took you, how long did you guys mountaineer? I think total mileage, it was only nine or 12 or okay. something like that. But, total climb, like but, actual hiking. But yeah, but the, the climb itself at Mount Rainier, Mount Rainier is the most prominent mountain in the United States, meaning, you know, from the base to the, to mm-hmm. the, to the summit, yeah. um, as far as the elevation goes. So I think it's the same from advanced base camp to the mm. summit of Everest. Wow. Um, so it's, it's extremely steep. It's, uh, I was telling some CrossFit buddies of mine that it's, it's similar to doing three days of Murph, like <laughs> eight hour AMRAPs of Murph. That makes my body Three hurt. days in a row straight at like a 60 to 70% capacity. So pretty demanding on your body. Yeah. And in the sounds thing. Sounds like a blast. The, well, <laughs> that the, actually sounds fun to me. I'm like, dude, that it does. I don't tough. know. If I obviously couldn't make it where I am, well, but like, I'd love to try it. You, you could do it. The, the, the thing that's uh, interesting about it though, is it's super dangerous. So you're, you're roped in, you're roped together. Mm. And you're traversing up a small snowpack, you know, footpath. So you can't just decide I'm tired. I'm going to stop now. 
Like you, you, <laughs> you're, 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 you're Yeah, you're you're roped into your teammates, mm. so you have to keep moving, and it's you, dangerous. You you keep finding yourself in team situations, man. Exactly. Where you don't want to let that teammate down. Can't let your rope team down. Uh, you, yeah. How's the heights situation? Like, I'm kind of scared of heights. Is does that really get to you as you're climbing up that mountain? Well, the reality is most of it was uh, at night with a headlamp. Oh, wow. so, really? Yeah. Even better. Why? So, Why would you do it just at night? Uh, you do it at night for a couple of reasons, but one of them is you want to beat the sunrise because once the sun comes out and starts heating up the snow, it becomes harder to walk on and a lot more mm. dangerous. Interesting. Um, wow. You know, Ciracs and things like that can melt and fall. So you yeah. want to do it while it's really frozen. Okay. Um, so the funny thing is you're you know, you're climbing in the dark, right? And by the time you get to summit, it's sunrise. And when you descend, then your eyes are open and you're like, holy crap, I had no idea there was a 2,000 foot drop right next to me this morning. <laughs> but it's better not yeah, to know. Yeah. So what kind of like, what was your mindset as you were climbing that mountain? I mean, like, like what were you telling yourself? Like any type of mantras or like anything like that? Because when I like to hike, I get like super tunnel, like super focused on what's in front of me. And I just kind of like, follow people's feet like they always say like enjoy the hike but i embrace like the sucky part like i it, relate with you to that as like let's just let's just blank out and let's just do this thing yeah it's i'm speaking your language because yeah. it's it's just embrace the suck like mm. get through this it's it's there's just to me kind of the way i word it is i i gain power from doing things that suck things that yeah. hurt things that are uncomfortable like just being uncomfortable for long periods of time <laughs> when you're done, they, they're a power source for me. Mm. Um, you know, my mom thinks I'm crazy because I'm always doing these, these dangerous things. How are you going to kill yourself this weekend? Stuff like that. <laughs> you know, just mar marathons, mm -hmm. you know, Ragnar races. I rode my bike across the United States in 1998. Yeah. We're circling back to that. Okay, later. I want to talk can, about it. Go back to that, but <laughs> yeah. I just doing, doing those long, arduous, uncomfortable, you know, challenges mm -hmm. just, they give me power. Yeah. I can definitely agree with that. When you finish something that like you've put a lot of energy or a lot of effort into, like you, you can use that for later. Like it's almost like I've done this, so I know I can do whatever the hell's about to like come into. I can go into a, a room full of people and do this, what I need to do, or do something that's challenging with, with other realms of life. Because I know that I've like that climbing up that mountain was way harder than having a tough conversation or maybe just as hard. But like sometimes if you know, you've accomplished things that were difficult you can take that same mentality into anything. Like, I know I can do this because I've done that. Yeah. Like, would you agree, Matt? I couldn't agree with you yeah. more. It's, <laughs> it's um, you know, as a, in, in a leadership role in, mm -hmm. in business, there's so many uh, analogies I can draw mm -hmm. from climbing a mountain and just persevering through, you know, different environments, different conditions, the unexpected, the unknown, right? Back to CrossFit, just kind of living in the, yeah. the unknown and the unknowable, right? As they call it, is such a metaphor for everything you'll face in yeah. life. And it's going to suck sometimes. And you <laughs> just need to dig deep and, uh, you know, look at the big picture and just keep pushing through and success is on the other side of that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're packing up right now and we're going to, we're going to move up to Seattle yeah. for a new role that I took. And Hate to it's, see you guys leave. I know it's absolutely <laughs> bittersweet and tons of people we're going to, we're going to miss, but yeah. we'll, we'll be back. We're not, uh, it's not well, going to be by forever. That, like Meg and I are going to come visit you guys up there. hundred oh, percent. So yeah. many. Can I come? Absolutely. Oh, I said Meg and I, not Michael and I. Come on, man. I mean, we could take the podcast up there. We could do it. We could you find don't need some people me in Seattle. <laughs> well, I but, think I would love to see where I was born. I love to like see Fort Lewis and like, there's a lot of cool stuff up there. So these, he's just going to keep doing cool stuff up in the, up in North. So yeah. How do you, how do you go from one cool thing to the next cool thing? Like <laughs> at some point are you like, well, I climb Mount Rainier. What should I do next? Like, how do you choose the next thing? Or is it okay sometimes to be like, I'm just going to go on this really cool trail run? 
oh, it's definitely cool to go on a trail run and just explore, <laughs> explore new places and things like that. But, um, um, I think my wife will tell you that I'm exhausting with my passions. I'm kind of <laughs> 110% on yeah. one thing. And then I kind of might pivot and find something else I like and be 110% on that. So I, I do definitely change my, my passions from, from time to time. But, um, as far as like climbing goes, you know, I just want to climb everything I can at this point. I have a, um, I have a goal that I want to climb. Um, and they're not all climbs, but I want to get to all the, the 50 high points for all the 50 States. I think, oh, yeah. I think I'm at a six right now. What's the highest here in Arizona? Is it Humphreys? It's Humphreys. Yeah. 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 Already, I did Humphreys not too that. long ago. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, and that was, that was a tough hike too. I mean, just, you think that you're at a certain point and then there's like, oh, you still got more to go. But like, that, I love that Kansas hike is going to be really easy. Yeah, to have a exactly. Feeling. Kansas. Oh yeah. Pretty flat there. Um, <laughs> I get it. I get it. When, when sorry. You, when you do Humphreys the next time, go from the back way and go through Lockett Meadow. It's beautiful with mm. all the, all the Aspen trees and you can go camp. It's like yeah. a 16 mile hike that way. Yeah. 16 Let's mile see, climb. If I ever have like any nature, like, or any cool hikes, this is the guy I always asks. Cause he's always like, yeah, you just go this other way that no one else goes and you'll, you'll be great. I think I've asked him a couple of Sedona hikes. He's definitely sent me on some good Sedona hikes. See, I need to go to Sedona. Dude, so I've talked talk to you about that. I can't believe I've lived here for 20 years. And never, we been. just need to go for a day. Like it'd be awesome. I've, and when I first got here, I would take Sedona trips by myself. I could just go up there and like do a hike by myself. It probably wasn't the safest thing. Sorry, mom. But, uh, would just go out there and hike something and like the, the, the mindset and the focus and the, like the thought process I get into when I'm in a hike, is like some of my best thinking and some of yeah. my best, like I can deal with the issues that like I need to deal with at that time. Like hiking does that. It's a very good, like management of resources and management of my issues. Energy. Yeah. Gives yeah. you, gives you power, gives you yeah. energy. Right. Yeah. It's well, a, it's a weird mindset. Have you done a lot of hiking in Utah? I love the scenery there from South to North. I feel like you're heavily biased about Utah. I love it. It's beautiful. What's what? What would be the highest point in Utah? I don't even know. I think Utah is King's Peak. Okay, I haven't done that one yet, but it's definitely on the uh, on the to do list. Don't it hate. Be, might be twelve thousand feet. Okay. I believe. Nice. Me and Michael were. Uh, I just done a lot of hiking. Why don't, you, here. Why don't we do it? I, yeah, I, right. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. I'm game. Well, dude, that's a little high, pretty damn high. I could try. Utah is pretty mountainous. I know. I grew up there. That's why I talk about it all the time because it's, it's uh, beautiful. You and Utah. That's all the hiking I've ever done was in Utah. So I, I mean, I've seen some pretty beautiful things in Utah. I've have yet to go, so I'm not making a judgment about Utah. You name the date, Matt, and I'll start <laughs> training it. right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what's funny when my mom came to Arizona for the first time, like I want to take her out to the Grand Canyon, so we go to the Grand Canyon and and we hike maybe about three or four miles down and. Mama Kilbride gets like a little like she's shaky, dude. I'm like, hey, mom, maybe we like don't go all the way down to the bottom and we hike back up because it's all downhill and then it's all uphill. So I'm thinking about her going up the hill, right? Uh, and she was struggling. Like I was like, uh, let's let's go back up. It took us a while to get out of there. Have you guys done have a soup eye yet? Yeah, yeah. I was I was lucky enough to do that with the first three months of living in Arizona. Amazing, yeah. isn't it? It was. It's. I don't understand geologically or like how that happens. Like. <laughs> How in the hell, in the middle of the Grand Canyon, there's this oasis of this blue, like, I think, what 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 is the actual mineral that's in the water there is, like, makes it that weird blue? Oh, but there's sure. something in that water, or, like, a mineral that makes, gives it that blue kind of lagoon look, and it's only right there, like, in the Grand Canyon of all things, like, geographically, that blows my mind. How does that happen? But I think the thing that's interesting about Havasupai is you envision one waterfall or one lagoon. Mm-hmm. It's from miles. Yeah. There, there are lagoons that you can swim in that are turquoise yeah that anywhere else in arizona would be packed on a weekend yeah. you just can't get to them and you don't even like go in them because the the mooney falls the other falls are so so gorgeous yeah. but it's a whole area now, i understand unbelievable i understand the bottom of the grand canyon is much hotter than the rim is that correct 
That's see, that's kind of what blows my mind. I would think it'd be colder being shielded from the sun, but it's so hot down there. Is what there's I've heard. so many different parts of the Grand Canyon. Like where Havasupai is, is like a very small section, like North Rim, South Rim. Like it's huge. So I think when I hear people say like, "Oh yeah, it's just a hole in the ground," I like want to throw a rock at them or like you know you know give them a rib shot. Like that's one of the world's most amazing things. Like I don't know. I coming from the East Coast, and maybe you can agree with me, Matt. Like like anything like Sedona or the Grand Canyon was like mind blowing to me when I first saw it. Like, I mean, I think your parents, you said were here, so you've maybe seen them, but like the first time that I drove up on Sedona, like coming off the highway, like I was like, I started crying. I was like, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. It's, I don't know. I think it's just important for people to like acknowledge nature and acknowledge how beautiful it is. Yeah. I, (laughs) I, (laughs) you actually like, not to get into a religious thing, but I've always felt like, I always try to connect with God in different ways. And the way I feel most connected is when I'm in nature. And oh, yeah. I, I need to do that more. I just don't do that very much because I am just blown away at what I'm seeing and just the the beauty of everything. And so I, I kind of feel you there. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's a very spiritual thing oh, yeah. to be out there, especially by yourself. And, yeah. just, and just, living, living like I do now, I don't ever get to do that. So you can imagine how disconnected I feel from well, just, I need to get out more. I think being in the mindset of noticing our surroundings, like, we live in this blah, 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 do this, do that. Got to go to work, got home. This. And like, if you take like five minutes out of your day and just be like, oh man, look at the moon or like, look at that sky. Look how beautiful those clouds are. Like the sunset. Like I want to take a second in every day and just admire nature. Like that puts me in a good place. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm being present. I can see these awesome clouds or awesome sunset like that. We need that. We need more of that. Yeah. Matt, were you able to do that when you had little kids or was it harder? Because that, that's the stage of life I'm at now. And it's it's kind of like, no, that's that's <laughs> something I'm not going to be doing right now. But you had, you've had a corporate job all your life. Yep. Very busy. Have you always found time for this? And if so, how did you make time when no, you had littles? I, I definitely got away from it for a while. Um, you know, it actually CrossFit kind of, I, I would say from 2006, when we moved out here, we had our first baby in 2008. From 2008 to 2011, which is when I joined Fury. Nice. You know, those three years after having a baby, I was, uh, I had the whole dad bod going and all that kind of <laughs> dad stuff. Dad bods before dad bods? Yeah. Was not getting outside, not hiking, not doing anything, just focused on, you know, home and work and things like that. It's and important. just kind of got in that, that bad kind of um, rut, if you will, just kind of with fitness and nutrition and stuff like that. And CrossFit really was probably the first thing that started waking me up to getting back to back to fitness, back to nutrition and things like that. And then probably wasn't until another four years where I really started embracing the outside again and getting outdoors mm-hmm. and realizing how much I loved being outside in nature and nature and pushing myself and using the fitness um, to do, you know, challenging things outdoors. Yeah. You, you CrossFit nerds out there. Uh, you're supposed to use your fitness in other realms, dudes. Yeah. Like, that bay door is big for a reason. Yeah, Get exactly. Out there. Yeah. Go out and test your fitness in other realms other than thrusters and pull-ups, like cl- climb a mountain or run a long race or do something with your fitness. Like, I can't, I get, and I'm victim. I, I get in the CrossFit nerds uh, sometimes, but like challenge yourself in another way. Like it's just going to drive you nuts staying in that gym all the time. It's yeah. not good. I think, there's a, I think there's a cycle, right? So when you first, you first start CrossFit, you realize, oh, wow, you know, I, I'm really getting into this. I'm starting to lift more weights. My times are going down. I'm getting faster. You're tracking everything. I was tracking things in a spreadsheet, compete, <laughs> compete, awesome. competing against my buddies. I was yeah. all into it. 
And then after a couple of years, you start to plateau and I realize, okay, 85 K snatch for me is probably going to be where I'm at. <laughs> unless, yeah. I, unless I dram- dramatically the, change something like, you know, you, with my I technique. Mean, quality of life. If you can put that much weight over your head, like you're doing pretty damn good. Like you're pretty fit, fit to do other things other than CrossFit. Right. I just think at, at some point the PRs start slowing down and yeah. then you go through this period of, okay, now it's just maintenance. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's when I really kind of started looking at other things and starting to use the use the, uh, the CrossFit for, yeah. for fitness, for things like ice hockey and things like that. So mm-hmm. if I can go back to when you have like having kids and stuff, did you take your kids along with you when you started getting back outside? Uh, how, how did you find the time to spend as much time as you did at work, be a dad? What did you have to give up in order to be able to do things like hiking and things like that? Yeah, probably the, the social aspect of things, I would say, as well. I mean, uh, my wife and I are pretty focused on our family and we kind of um, put that above all else. So, so they're with you on hikes and stuff. Yeah, now. Like, absolutely. It's a family yeah. affair. They're, they're, running, they're my, learning young. My, my four-year-old, she loves hiking. Oh. My son, Drew, loves hiking. My 11-year-old daughter, not so much. She, <laughs> she, she pushes back on us as much as she can. But no, it's, it's a family affair. We all, we all love to get out there um, and, uh, you know, and push ourselves and enjoy nature and things like that. So I think that I'd love I, to get there. I would feel yeah. like that would cultivate the things that you want with your family, like spending that good time and you're not, you're the, your presence. Like, I feel like as a, I'm not a parent, but like your parents, your kids want to know that you're there with them, like, and not distracted. So like being in nature on a hike, like, well, you got nothing else to do is pretty much you nature and you in the trail and, and whoever's there with you. Like I've had some really powerful talks and, and kind of cultivate really good relationships with people on a trail. Like, cause it's just you and them. Like you might as well talk to them and you, you just establish good relationships. Yeah. Ain't that right, Spencer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she says yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, nice. sorry, sorry. But yeah, I, I, I'm just fascinated because it's something I want to get into. And I even think about camping and stuff. Like my problem is I just don't, I don't know anything about trails. I, I don't know trails around here. I've hiked white tanks. I've hiked Piesta with Peak and I've mm. hiked Camelback. I mean, I could do that, but I've got a three-year-old. Do I want to take my three-year-old up Camelback? Probably not. <laughs> People do it. Or, right. or even if I'm, if I'm camping, I don't know the first thing about camping. You I'm going to be, do it. I'm going to be mm. the guy that's going to hang, you know, the food right outside my tent and get eaten by a bear <laughs> because I'm an idiot. Just, so. just go with people that know what they're doing. Mm. But there's, there's to, to us, camping is such a great way to just be with family. The kids love it. The memories you create, they're always going to remember being out there in a tent with you. And, and again, it's that whole comfort thing. Mm. Sleeping in a tent's a little uncomfortable, but totally. you know, it's okay to not be comfortable for a night. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's, it's it, kind of it, like sweat is bonding. I'm sure discomfort in the yeah. bitter oh, cold yeah. is also bonding. <laughs> yeah, when you're freezing your ass off, you're you're getting pretty close. Well, I want to start making making trails toward Let's do hiking it. and uh, I mean, doing it. stuff if with we, my family. Yeah. Get outside. There's tons of this out here in the West Coast, and maybe I just wasn't aware of it when I was back home in South Carolina. But like out west, there's so much. Like there's so much to do out here. So many mountains to climb, and so many things to do. Like. It's out here. The West Coast is where it's at. If you want to get outside, yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, and I'm wasting it. Doggone it. Well, you got time. Yeah, dude. There's time. always time. I know. Yeah, you just we, have to be intentional. Yeah, yeah. Just well, make it happen. I mean, like I said, make it, plan it. Like make it happen. Make it priority. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not. I, I would say the most nervous and what makes me more vulnerable as a man is like, if I was stuck on an island by myself, would I survive? Like that gives me like that gives me insecurities as a man. Like, cause I'm not sure. 
I don't know how to mountaineer or like even start a fire or like be an outdoorsman. I that's something I don't know yet. So I'm always trying to kind of learn a little bit more and and get get out there and figure it out. Just go do it. It can, yeah. be, it can be scary. Well, if you guys don't hear from me in a while, I went out there and did it. And, and never came back. We'll, but we'll find your bones. Yeah, man. Talk to Peter Edgett about it when he does his walkabouts. Yeah, he, he goes does out that. in the middle of nature by himself. I mean, I, he does it about once a year. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah, I think it, it's important, and it it can be scary. I mean, every if it's quiet and not windy, every noise you hear, you're focused on, and yeah. you're you're wondering what that is, and it it's just uh, puts you in this different state of awareness. Mm. And wow. again, again, I think it's good for you. I think it's good to be put in that environment in a world that is now in like this bubble wrap. Yeah. Everyone, like, everyone wants everything to be comfortable, mm. perfect temperature, you know, that's a theme we've been having come, yeah, come up lately is just discomfort and how, how freeing discomfort can it's be. It's like the oil of like the joint of life. Like it, it being uncomfortable makes you a little bit more flexible and, and, and all things and a little bit more flexible and rigid at the same time. Cause you harden up when you get in those circumstances, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You realize that like not having cell phone signal is not that big of a deal and when it's like, you know, 10 degrees or, right. you know. And it's important to teach your kids that. Yeah. So. Okay. So we, we've gone from something I'd like to try to something I would not like to try, which is taking a bike all the way across the nation. Yeah. I, I don't think I'll ever get there, but you've done it. Why don't you talk about the time you did that? Yeah. So it was in 1998 between sophomore and junior years in college. And uh, my best bud and I were, we knew we were going to have internships coming up uh, after junior year. So we wanted to do something um, you know, inspiring, adventurous. So we looked at hi- hiking the Appalachian Trail, and we determined hey, that would, baby. We determined that would take too long <laughs> for the amount of time we had, and it would, um, you know, not be as fun as as moving uh, on at bicycle speed. Mm. And we had just seen these couple kids that had um, for charity rode their bikes across the country. So we we decided we'd rather do that. Um, we tried to get sponsored, but nobody would sponsor a couple punk college kids. <laughs> Uh, so we ended up just, just buying all the gear. We sent our bikes out to my aunt's house in, um, in Washington state. And, uh, we started in Astoria, Oregon and we rode. That's a beautiful yeah, place to start absolutely. too. Holy smokes. Never want to leave. Yeah. We, so we wanted to go west to east because the prevailing winds typically, uh, run west to east. Smart guys. And, and it was the summer and we stayed kind of north. So it'd be a little cooler. Um, and yeah, so 200 miles down, um, the coast of Oregon past, uh, Astoria where the Goonies was filmed and all that nice. kind of stuff. Cannon beach. Hey, you guys. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. And then we cut in, went through Eugene and then through, you know, we literally rode our bikes through Yellowstone national park. Mm. Um, I saw my bucket have you been list. There? No, not no, yet. That's beautiful. Bucket list. Mount, you been Yellowstone? Mount, Mount Rushmore. We yeah. literally rode our bikes right up to Mount Rushmore. So you we're stayed North there. then. Yeah. Okay. Black Hills. Um, and then we eventually made it in through, through Minnesota and then up through, um, the upper peninsula in Michigan into Canada. Okay. So you kind of took this like top end of the United yeah. States. What yep. was your favorite place and your least favorite place that you traveled through on your bike? Um, favorite place would probably be just in Canada. Mm. So you guys yeah. crossed the border. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Yep. We were, we were 20 and the drinking age there was 18. So right on. that was, that was one reason. We had a lot <laughs> that of, part of the trip took a little yeah. longer. <laughs> we had a lot of fun up so there. So what kind of bikes were you guys on? I'm interested in the gear, like yeah. how you had to have to have a certain amount of equipment with you too. Yeah. So f- funny story We're we're moving you know, coming mm-hmm. up here in January up to Seattle, like we talked about, and I still have the bike that I rode That's across amazing. country. I, it's just the frame. It's a, it was a Fuji uh, touring series. Okay. And I just took it down to the Trek store. My buddy Brian owns that store and had them pull the bottom bracket off and all this stuff. So now it's literally just a frame. 
You got to keep that um, thing. Yeah, I'm going to polish it up, shine yeah. it up, and hang it on the wall in my office. My, Dude, that's amazing. Eric has asked me to throw it out like five times. I'm like, I'm not getting rid of this bike. Yeah. I rode, I rode it across Putting the country. Putting it in the office is as good as throwing it out, right? At least it's not in her house. Yeah, she just needs it out of her sight. So it was a Fuji. I still have that's, it. That's yes. awesome. And yep. like, was it like more of a road bike or like? Nope, it's a touring bike. Okay, like you it's can, a touring bike, yeah. meaning a little bit thicker tires? They're made, They're typically a steel frame okay. um, to support weight. And, I don't know and much they, about they, bikes. They hold... Um, they have uh, spots to hold panniers, which are like ba- saddlebags. Basically, we had we had seventy pounds of uh, of weight each. On the you bikes. and him, yeah, uh-huh. each. You know, tent. We camped out every single night. That's amazing. Did uh, you keep it on on the bike, not on your back or anything. Nothing right? on our back. Everything okay. was on w- the would bike. Would that like kind of like make the bike a little bit harder to manage? You had to balance it out. Yeah. So it was. Did uh, you take any spills? Yeah. No, but John did. Wow. Was he all right? He was. Okay, good. Thank God. He, he, he was. No spills. I, I, that interests me. Like, I would love to do something like that. Like, that sounds really not. Do you think that that could happen nowadays? Like, I mean, this is 30 years later. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You think people get away with that? It, absolutely. It, yeah. it, 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 it was, and anyone who says they couldn't do it, absolutely could do it. The first week would be your training. Yeah, what's you, the you mileage get, like a day? It. 100% dependent on the wind and the hills, right? Yeah. So, and the wind was actually a much bigger factor than um, the elevation was. Yeah, I think you told me this. Because you'd, you know, break camp, get out onto the main road that you were going to go beyond for a hundred miles or whatever. And you'd know within five minutes if you had a headwind or a tailwind. And if you had a headwind, it was a 45 mile day. If you had a tailwind, it was a hundred mile day. Wow. So there was a dramatic. How long total in how many days or how many weeks? 60 days, 3,600 miles. Wow. Yeah. That's not loafing. That's not, that's pretty getting after it. Yeah. Yeah. 50 to a hundred miles a day, every single day. What was the first thing you did when you finished? Dip, dip our front wheels in the, uh, well, actually we stopped at my lake and my parents live on a lake. So we actually, um, didn't tell them we were coming and we rode our bikes down the driveway onto the dock and rode them right into the water. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully without yeah. your gear or with your gear. I think, I think we got rid of the, yeah, the I say those bikes but are going to sink. But really. then they, they called the, the local newspaper. The newspaper came down and took our picture. Nice. I still have the article and all that Dude, stuff. And don't make me cool. just disappear but, off the earth for four months and do something like that. But then we had to finish the ride by driving from, by riding from my house to Boston, right? oh. which is another, you know, what, 50, 60 miles. Oh, so you thought you were done, but there was still we more. We didn't finish it until like a few days later, but yeah. you have to, the tradition is, you know, you, you dip your rear wheel in the Pacific and you dip your front wheel in the Atlantic. Yeah. So that's awesome. We had, we had that would be so, fun. Matt, so, see, this is rad. Like this is just rad stuff that I want to do before I like, you know, die too. I, I'm going to try some shit like that. I want my kids to listen to this and be able to think about doing stuff, something like that yeah. before they get into work and family. So, it's, what I would say about it is it, I cannot tell you how great it was to talk about this in job interviews, right? Mm. When I was graduating college and entering the workforce, yeah. you know, just, we would start a job interview. I would start talking about this trip and then they would just start asking all kinds of questions about the trip. And I think it just, yeah. it shows that you, you're committed, right? You're not going to quit. You're going to persevere yeah. through everything. Well, we, these people are all, all holed up in an office all the time and they wish they were doing that too. Kind of like where I am now. Exactly. So, so I'm sure they're probably uh, jealous. Dude, I'm, all, I'm also pretty stubborn. And, and a lot of people said, oh, you'll be, you won't make it. You're going to call and get a ride. You'll be flying home. So mm. any day that, any day that really sucked, dude, like long, hot. I'm looking at my schedule. I'm already planning this. I'm sorry. I might disappear for a couple of months, Michael. All right. These long, hot days where it's like raining and stuff and you want to quit. Like there was no way we were quitting because people said we would. So yeah. there's a little bit of a. Dang, you know, dude, competitive that stubborn, so stubborn factor in it involved too. Yeah. 
I want to live Matt Lazat's life. I mean, Matt Lazat has done some. <laughs> I gotta live my own life, though. He's Come a on. rad dude. He's a rad guy. What are, are there I, any other rad things you've done that we haven't talked about? I mean, he said he did. Uh, you recently were getting into like trail running and long distance. Like, yeah. I think I, I you told me you did an insane amount of distance as of late. Oh, yeah, I, did, like I did the uh, last week. Last weekend, we did yeah. the with the Ragnar Trail Race, which is basically a team of eight where you set On up that team again. You set up a campsite, and basically one person is running um, for twenty four hours straight. We actually did it. In, we finished in nineteen hours. There's three loops: a, a green loop, a yellow loop, red loop. Four miles, five miles, seven miles. The red is the yellow one's actually pretty technical. The the red one's long. Uh, basically did you have to do all three you have to, each person does all three nice. but in different order nice so the group will go up see the first guy off and then you're trying to time okay well we think he's going to finish this in about 45 minutes so the next person comes back to make sure you're at the uh, you know location to do the handoff at the right there's time. an actual thing you hand off or it's a uh, yeah it's a uh, chip timing, oh, nice. timing chip that nice. goes around your waist on so a belt. So in between your legs, are you like napping, hanging out? Like what do you like? It's, what are you doing? It's, it's super similar to a CrossFit competition <laughs> yeah. where you have like three or four wads, mm. and you're just you you finish your first wad, and then you look at the clock, and you're like, okay, the next one is at you know two o'clock, and you work backwards for your nutrition and. Nice. You know, going to the bathroom, that all, sounds, all that, all that, that all like that kind of, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of you were smiling bigger than you ever smiled God, during a podcast. So much stuff I know. I want to do now. <laughs> That's uh, we shouldn't have had Matt on because now our lives are just going to feel empty. No. <laughs> yeah, well, no, just inspiring. I feel like it if anything, like yes. Matt's story is like. Do some shit that's hard. Yeah. Like go out and do some things that you always wanted to do. Like he's doing those things. Like fun it's and hard. Yeah. But that's make, both. Just like, I mean, you don't, you don't need to be a trail runner to go mm. do a Ragnar. Just yeah. do it with a well, bunch of people that, you know, it's their first time and just yeah. go have fun and, and push yourself. I think it's that's not, what I'm doing. I've signed up for a Ragnar at the end of uh, January, which is going to be pretty cold. And then I think me and Brittany Wyndham are going to sign up for a half in Sedona, like a half marathon. So so doing some awesome. things out of my comfort zone. And you a did a triathlon bit. not long ago. Yeah, 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 that was that was small. small that was thing. new. Yeah, it was definitely that was new. new. That was different. Uh, swimming in uh, Tempe Town Lake was <laughs> something new. Dirty. Uh, everyone that I say, they're like, "You swam in Tempe Town Lake?" I'm like, "Hell yeah, I did." It, it tastes a lot better sure. than the ocean water in Rocky Point. I'll tell you that for sure. Triathlon but, swimming is awesome because you know you can go train in a pool all day, but then you go do the actual race. You're getting kicked in the face, getting yeah. your goggles kicked off, mm. splashing, drinking water. It's yeah. a, it's a whole other element, right? I didn't enjoy that, gets that in, part. That gets involved. That's what I always say. If I can make it out of the water, I'll be fine. And, yep. and ocean swimming was just a whole other whole other thing in Rocky Point that was different. Are you gonna um, run a full marathon? Uh, it's on the bucket list. I would like to do an Ironman. Like that. That would be full on. Like. That's crazy. That's yep. a two mile swim, double like hundred mile bike, and then a marathon run. So I don't have much desire to do a marathon. That's just <laughs> that's just a lot of the same thing. Like I think I'd rather try a triathlon or something where I can yeah. vary what I'm doing. That's just a long time to be in the suck. I mean, our friend Nicole, I always like oh, if Nicole can run 120 miles, I can run 20 miles. I mean, she is a freak athlete, but like she's like David Goggins. Yes. Well, she knew David Goggins. Did she? That yeah, she ran me. with David Goggins. Wow. She said one year, the year that he did it, like something, like he blew out his leg or something, and she just remembered like running right past him. Like she was so long, suck up. Yeah, taking your soul, buddy. That's right. <laughs> his book is amazing. Amazing. One of my favorites. Uh, Riley made me listen to yeah, it. Yeah, so it's good. We always have this kind of back and forth. We we're trying to my my project with Michael is to work on his mindset and work on his kind of self talk. And I sent him that book, and ever since then, I feel like the conversation has been better. Similar themes of what we're talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, it's all about uh, embracing the suck and pushing yourself and getting out of your comfort zone. 
Yeah, but you got to get and, into the suck first, and that's where I'm struggling because I I have my routine, and you know, CrossFit can suck at some from some time, from most time, <laughs> most of the time. But it's still it's what I'm used to, so I need to find something I'm not used to and learn how to get through the suck of I something can, new. I can tell you that you know, stepping away from CrossFit as much as I, you know, as much as I was involved in it before and coming back, the CrossFit suck hurts really bad. <laughs> like it, <laughs> so if we can endure yeah. that suck, I mean, we yeah. can, we can almost aspire to do the rad things that Matt's done. I really want to, and this will be a call to action. Let's see who actually listens to this podcast. I want to shoot an animal with my bow. I want to get into hunting. I don't know if you've ever dived into that. No, uh, I haven't actually. But, but I really want to like, take care of all. I want to eat an animal that I've, I've single-handedly killed. Yeah. And I want to learn how to, you know, do all those things and like dress it and everything or just like have a connection to the food that I eat. Like that's something cool that I feel like everyone should have a part in. We go to the grocery store to buy food and it comes from the food store. Like I would want to like know that, like take care of the animal, eat what I can. And, 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 you know, just have that experience. I feel like that's empowering as a human to know where your food comes from. Yeah. I'm really, when it comes to nutrition, like I like things that are like from the earth and like, what's more from the earth than an animal. Like, I think one of the things that's so awesome about fury right in the community mm-hmm. is there's so many hunters yeah, that, there is. that you could go team up like a guy like yeah. Charlie oh, Montgomery yeah. or somebody yeah, would go, just, go take you tomorrow. Oh, for sure. I, I don't like Johnson, Mike for, Johnson. Yeah, yeah. We've got plenty of guys, but I think for me, like I struggle with like, be like, Hey dude, like, will you help me? Like, will you show me? Like, I think I got to get rid of that stigma of like, you Being feel, vulnerable, be like, hey, dude, will you help me learn this thing? They would love thing? to. I know they would, but I'm- a, We can I'm, go climb mountains. We can hunt. Yeah. And we can, you know- yeah. I think yeah. Charlie the did community. hunting, too. Well, Charlie's a farmer, dude. That oh, dude, there's no, Well, that's a tr- another guy we should have on. Here's an interesting guy. Did you know Charlie was a college boxer and he was undefe- yes. undefeated? Look, you see the arms in that guy? Imagine just jabbing, taking a jab from that guy. There's You can you can only get so close to that guy. He's going to jab you right in the head. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy. That's awesome. Yeah, we got to get him on here. Charlie, if you listen- Give us a call. Well, he's probably too busy doing farm stuff. That's or true. They're doing real, like, I think Charlie's like a man's man, I think. He is. He's a good dude, though, yeah. too. Solid, He'd be awesome to have on here. All right, Matt, we usually like to wrap these episodes up with something, like a, like a mantra. We talked a lot about it in this episode, but, like, what do you think people need to hear? Like, maybe it's something you're struggling with or something that you think our listeners will benefit hearing. I just think you always need to be working on expanding yourself in all different ways, right? Um do things that give you power in all areas of life, you know, fitness, body, being, spirituality, relationships, business, work, all those areas are all tied together. Mm. So I think you got to have them all kind of firing on all cylinders for them all to be successful. So, you know, it, you might have a great business, right? You might be crushing it. Your bank accounts are growing, but if your fitness is deteriorating, mm. deteriorating, um, you know, that, that's, that's not a good thing. So your family's falling apart or or something, right? Right. right. It's such a hard balance. It's easy to, it's easier, right. To have a couple areas where you want them. It's a lot harder to have them all on fire. And I think the only way to do that is to put in the work. It's not just going to happen. You've got to be, you've got to be intentional. You've got to focus on all four of those areas in your life. I'm tired of my weaknesses still being the same weaknesses. Like I struggle, like professionally I struggle in relationships I struggle like you know different places I'm and I'm really just getting to the point where I'm like okay dude these finally need some work like you gotta like these can't be your weaknesses forever so 
like professionally and definitely in relationships i'm like okay now it's actually time to do some work like to the point now i'm like okay i'm tired of this same thing biting me like almost like a like across a workout or a weakness there like you can't let the same thing keep getting you each time so i'm to the point now where i actually want to do some work on things that are very uncomfortable but but need attention which which i totally agree with all right so we'll get the king's peak hike on the on the schedule (laughs) let's do it yeah come on man mark the calendar all right matt thanks for coming on i appreciate you guys having me it's been a lot of fun yes sir i love what you guys are doing with this podcast appreciate it